This is Americana Podcast, the 51st state. We've all heard it, from our parents as a warning, from our teachers as a lesson, and from our friends as a boast, that the people we hang around are the ones that define us. There's even a Spanish proverb which says, tell me with whom you walk, and I will tell you who you are. Now take that a step further in the modern age of music and streaming. That sentiment is readily available as the suggestions made by your preferred music service. If you like this artist, you might like this one as well. It's all around us, and it's true. The individuals we bring into our lives are sources of happiness, pain, direction, growth, etc. Some may be new, and others may have been there from what feels like the very beginning. And like that, there stands a physical embodiment of the intersection of time and influence, all wrapped up into one person, or two, or maybe three. And under the best circumstances, a select few recognize the power and possibility that arises when they come together, and they create and work on something bigger than the individual. On today's episode of Americana Podcast, we speak with Sarah Jarose, Sarah Watkins, and Aoife Donovan, or collectively known since 2014 as the band I'm With Her. Although all the members of the band I'm With Her began playing at a young age, Jarose started playing at particularly young and became friends with Watkins at a festival when she was nine and caught O'Donovan's attention later at the age of 15. Previously, Watkins had been a member of the band Nickel Creek and had played with the likes of the Decemberists, John Mayer, and Jackson Brown, whereas O'Donovan, a member of the group Crooked Still, has recorded with the likes of Alison Krauss and famed cellist Yo-Yo Ma. In 2014, Jarose, Watkins, and O'Donovan reconnected at a festival in Telluride, Colorado. There, they decided to begin playing together. While the time between touring, writing, and recording was extended, the band released its first record, See You Around, in February of 2018. As all members of the band I'm With Her are accomplished multi-instrumentalists, the sound variance on their record is phenomenal. See You Around is a testament to the range of acoustic string instruments like banjo, fiddle, guitar, you name it. It's there. And just when it seems it can't get better, the harmonies of Jarose, Watkins, and O'Donovan, and accented by the varying lead vocals across the record, lifts the lifting experience to the nth degree. Flitting between the lines of Roots music, this isn't just a bluegrass record, and it's not just a folk record. It's truly transcendent. As this last August marked the inaugural year of Railbird Music Festival in Lexington, Kentucky, Americana Podcast interviewed I'm With Her in front of a live audience as an experience available to GA ticket holders throughout the festival. So join us as our host, Robert Earl Keen, speaks with I'm With Her about their live shows, long-term build to making an album, and the balance between solo careers and the band identity. I'm your producer, Clara Rose, and this is Americana Podcast, the 51st State. I guess we all deserve our turn to be a fool at 
took my turn, so did you. I've got a story, a dotted line. I have my sins, done my time. Nothing special, ain't that fine, that fine. I've got a story, a dotted line, where it's connecting yours to mine. Nothing special, ain't that fine, that fine. Ain't that fine. Hello, all, and welcome to Americana Podcast, the 51st State. I'm your host. Robert Earl King, we are recording live on the inaugural launch of the Railbird Festival in lush and lively Keeneland, Kentucky. Today we're visiting with Sarah Watkins, Eva O'Donovan, and Sarah Jarose, or collectively one would say the band known as I'm With Her. Thanks for joining us. Thanks Thank for you. I do encourage that at any time. It, it just makes me feel better. So. Uh, <laughs> Do you feel the presence of the father of bluegrass music here in Kentucky? Wow, you're wow. starting with the big ones. <laughs> I would say yes. We just drove from Indianapolis, so it's, it's still a fresh feeling because we just got here like five <laughs> minutes ago, but yes, it's I would say up on you, it's right? creeping up on us uh, okay. as we speak. So I know all of you played, a, you played or sung a Bill Monroe tune in one time or another. What I'd like to know is, do you have any of those iconic stories where it goes, uh, did you ever hear the time Bill Monroe did this? I, I have heard those stories second and third hand. I have never been the subject of one of those stories. <laughs> do, do you remember any of the second or third hand ones at all? But most of them aren't really things. Yes, I do. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah. Uh, I, I remember I have, there's a story that Ronnie McCurry was saying about, um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shorten it and, and butcher it, but, but, but the gist is that, uh, I, and maybe I'll get the names wrong, who knows, but Dell was playing with Monroe, I believe on the Opry, and, uh, and he, he like, you know, missed some words on a song. And then, um, you know, a month and a half later, maybe they're up in Kentucky at the old home place, and they see uh, the gravestones for, for uh, Monroe's mother and dad, and uh, and he's like, uh, hey, Del, what does what does that say there, on Mama's gravestone? He says, gone but not forgotten, and then on Dad's gravestone, um, on it said, um, we'll meet again someday, which is the lyric that. Dell had forgotten <laughs> on the Opry a month and a half before. That's, That's a how good I story. That's yeah. a good story. I hope it's true. <laughs> Sorry, Dell. <laughs> so you're playing here today at Railbird. Do you have your set list all teed up and ready to go? We yeah. do. You do? I mean, shockingly. We, we don't usually have our set list all ready to go this far in advance of a show, but mm -hmm. we had a four-hour drive this morning, and, you know, Gotta have some things to do in the van. Yeah. Do you change your set list frequently? We actually do. Yeah. We've we've kind of we're nearing the end of, of this record cycle behind See You Around, and we've been on the road for kind of a year and a half straight. And I think that's been one thing that's been f fun for us and keeping it fresh and learning new songs and uh, switching around the order. Even something as simple as that can kind of make. It, you know, a song coming in one key, going into a different key, 
you know, can change the, your whole kind of brain mindset in terms of how you're interpreting a song, at least in terms of how it feels to play during the course of a set. So little changes like that can be helpful, I think. Yeah, so uh, you work on songs uh, constantly as far as just tweaking songs uh, when you're not playing? I mean, I mean yeah, we do. I, I feel like even as recently as yesterday, we were talking about new ways to approach feels and songs that we've been playing every night uh -huh. since January of 2018. So I think that that's something that you kind of have to do if you're going to be on tour for as long as we've been on tour playing essentially the same repertoire, obviously, with some stuff thrown in, as Juros just said, but we don't have, you know, several records of material to draw from. We really only have one. So say uh, it's maybe, I wouldn't say to you, but it happens to me, so I just want to throw this out as a hypothetical. Uh, things really aren't connecting between you and the audience. Do you ever call audibles in the middle of the set? Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you try and do everything you can to make a connection with an audience. Uh, and, yeah, sometimes that means, like, extending solos or going more in depth into an introduction to try and figure out what people might care about. <laughs> um, but yeah, sometimes it feels like you're doing cartwheels up there to try and get people to care about your music. But <laughs> <laughs> then there's other times, like last night, we were playing uh, in front of an audience that we were expecting to kind of be unfamiliar with our, with our material. They were season ticket buyers in this, this beautiful uh, field in, in Indiana, outside of Indianapolis. And, and it was one of the better receptions we've gotten in that kind of context on, the, on this whole album cycle. It was really, really um, delightful. It was a huge surprise and, and just compliment. Like we started playing instrumental, like our one of a few instrumentals we play in. And uh, they cheered and that doesn't happen <laughs> at every show of ours. So it was, yeah, it, sometimes, um, sometimes it goes the other way and, and people actually like you. <laughs> cartwheels or not. It can't happen. Sans cartwheel. I saw uh, someone recently, uh, uh, you know, changing some songs in a little set, and they had these elaborate hand signals. What, what, I, I don't expect you to have a lot of hand signals. What is your method? I mean, do you just get together? Or, or for instance, uh, when we play, we have what's called the secret mic, and uh, because uh, I can't really tell you anything about it, I won't tell, <laughs> tell you about it, but, but that's how we do change a song in the middle of the set, so what's your method? Well, it's just the three of us up there, so, so we kind of just powwow in the back or something, have a little chat amongst ourselves, kind of, you know, rethink the strategy. It, it doesn't come up all that often, although I think that has been something that's been fun about being in this band together. Um, at least, especially early on, you know, so much of the time that we spent together before going on tour was spent talking about the music and, and the singing and the songs and everything, and you don't really spend much time talking about the banter in between the songs, and it's kind of been fun to discover our different styles of, of you know, talking to the audience, and I think the, the best nights are when you, you feel like you can be loose and almost conversational with, with the audience, and they're, they're there with you, and. And I think actually Watkins in particular, I think you're good at just being straight with, with the audience. Like no matter what the situation, kind of 
like if they're not singing, like if we're encouraging a sing-along and they're not singing, you're like, oh, come on, you, you can do better. <laughs> you know? I love that so much. I enjoy scolding the audience sometimes. <laughs> okay, I need some lessons after this. I guess I, I never can. Yeah, we're really going to give you some, some oh, lessons thanks. on how to deal with your audience. <laughs> they don't like you enough. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that. That's good. That's good. No one really knows what the ocean hides. You and I both gonna find out. I'll be next to you when the lights go out. And we might see some kind of beauty in Flashes all around of the life that we'd forgot. So let's jump right in. Your latest single, Call My Name, was composed as uh, are the majority of your songs as a group. Can uh, someone break down the three-way co-write process for me? This one was an interesting one because the, the, it started with us not being in the same room, as, as a couple of other tunes that we've written have. But we had been on tour. We started our tour behind Sea Around in January. And um, we, we knew we wanted to have new music, but we didn't have a week to go sit somewhere all together and write. We, we didn't even really have a couple of days to do that as we, our tour schedule was so jam-packed. We, uh, we ended up doing the writing, the actual writing, setting up a couple days in the middle of a tour to write, but we wanted to have some something to kind of go off of. So I, I think this song started with, both Jeroz and I had kind of messed around with a couple different demo ideas. I had a piano demo of a melody and kind of a groove. Watkins sent a really cool fiddle thing that I think did end up somewhere on, on this song. And then the lyric, I, I think, definitely started from Your Notebook. Mm -hmm. And the whole kind of middle bridge section was part of the original demo that Jerose had sent. So it was, it was a collaboration of those three ideas and then the three of us sat in a room together and turned it into a song. Is that broken yeah, down appropriately? Really, yeah, it was, we, we literally had one day. So all of those ideas were sort of coming together in pieces over maybe like a month, kind of slowly, slowly piecing things together. And then we had one day on tour last August in Breckenridge, where we, it was just kind of an afternoon where we sat in a hotel room and, and it kind of came together. Uh, and then going into the studio, I feel like this song was very different than our, our record See You Around in terms of the way that it then transformed in the studio with um, Mike Elizondo as the producer. And he kind of took it to a whole other, whole other level, which we were really pleased with. Do you recall your ice-breaking moment when co-writing? When you first started, is there like, did someone jump in and say, here I have an idea, or what the hell are we going to do, or um, uh, I don't even know what we're going to do? It, I well, someone's always got to pitch the first idea. And, uh, when we were making our record, it was, uh, we, we, we came together with some song starts that just didn't really uh, ever get completed or they, they, they couldn't, they, they just for whatever reason hadn't been developed yet. And so maybe that means it's a melody for a verse or a chorus or whatever. And, 
And I remember when we sat down together uh, to write for the first time, um, it was it was it see you around that was the first one that we wrote it was together? One of the one of the first ones, yeah. And uh, I don't even I don't remember how all of these songs started because it, it does feel like uh, very equal parts ownership of these songs. I, I think we all feel that way that the collaboration is is very um, natural and and evolves kind of over the course of the day and. Um, I just, I feel like we, we want to say yes and, and to, to ideas and, it, and that feels like a really healthy way for this band to write where we, um, we don't necessarily, I don't think first thought, best thought is, is something that we really struggle with, but it's nice to just be able to build from something and whether, you know, that idea comes from Aoife and, and then it just, develops into a, a, a chorus or a verse. Things um, change throughout the writing process. You can always go back and revisit the verse or the chorus and, and it's, it's not a, um, uh, it doesn't have to happen in order and then, and then that's just how it is. And so I think we're always trying to tweak it until, until it's recorded and then you know when you're on tour you can still keep tweaking things. It's, right. um, that's part of the fun. I don't know if that answers your question. What was your question? Uh, the question was, uh, what was the ice-breaking moment in, in the writing together as a trio? Well, the very first time. Yeah. Well, I also think, to, to add on to what Sarah said, um, <laughs> uh, you know, one thing that was important in terms of being an icebreaker, at writing as a trio, was the shared intention of wanting to create a band sound and not wanting to you know, ha have songs that sounded like it was from any of our different projects before. Um, and so I think because we all shared that intention and that goal, there was this real willingness kind of across the board to just really like lose our ego and, and let things go. And I think that really allowed us to, to write now, you know, looking back on the writing process, feel very like it was an equal mm -hmm. con contribution for all the songs. Mm -hmm. I think just to, to point out one actual ice-breaking moment, I think in the song See You Around, when I remember really clearly sitting in this little living room in LA where we were writing and working on the bridge and kind of coming up with this, this bridge and trying to figure out how we were gonna get back to the chorus of the song. And when we somehow came upon these chords and that lyric going back into the chorus, I just remember all of us looking at each other and being like, Oh my God, that sounds so cool! And being so excited that we had like cracked the code and yeah. taken that bridge back to the the major chord from the minor chord, and in a way that to us sounded really cool. Maybe it's a dorky thing to say that you think how your band did something was cool, but it was it was fun. I feel you, baby. These aren't fighting words, just a declaration. I feel you. strong solo music careers, how do you manage the balance of, do you still do your solo career or is it mostly I'm with her these days? 
Well, I mean, we're, like I said earlier, this is sort of the tail end of supporting, touring behind CU Around. Um, and I think we all made a conscious decision. Part of the reason why it took two years um, to between recording the record and it coming out is because we knew that when it came out, we wanted to really lend our, our time and our vision to this exclusively, kind of as the push behind it. Um, but yeah, I mean, all of we all have our, our solo projects and other other things going on, and you know, coming up, I think that we'll kind of turn turn to those again. But I think this band, it's we're a band now, so it'll right. hopefully just always exist, and we'll always get to make music together, and it'll always be, um, you know, another outlet for us to create music in the world. So you've had a really booming and adventurous career. Can you give me the mini wiki version of Sarah Giroux's up to I'm with her? Oh my goodness. Well, Multiple I mean, Grammy I, Award winner. I, I mean, I've read that you started when you were nine playing the mandolin. And yeah, I, I grew up in Texas, um, just outside of Austin, and um, started playing mandolin when I was nine. And, and yeah, I started going, there was a festival outside of Austin called Old Settlers that I started going to when I was 10, and actually saw the Sarah Watkins play. I met Sarah when I was nine there at that festival because I was just a huge Nickel Creek fan, and also a big Crooked Still fan, and yeah, I just, I played a bunch around Austin um, early on and then kind of went on from there to festivals around the country and camps and things where I learned and then eventually just started playing my own shows kind of when I was 16, I guess. And, and that's kind of how I met them, was just through the, the festival scene and, and the bluegrass and acoustic music world. It's, it's so cool how like backstage at those festivals, everyone is just jamming and playing music and it's this real you know, back and forth of, of um, hangs and, and you know, music and information being passed along. And especially for me to be younger and to feel never be made to feel like a kid amongst these people. I just felt like they were my friends. So that was a, a big part of a big part of it for me. Eva, I have here that you formed a band, Crooked Still. Can you give us a similar version of the evolution of coming from an Irish music party world to your current <laughs> incarnation? Where does it say that? Ah, I, I, did, um, I did grow up. My parents are, are really... It's on your story. It, it is. My parents are the biggest party animals in the world. They're, they're probably partying right now somewhere. Um, Crooked Still was a band that I started in Boston. There's, there's a great acoustic music scene in Boston that's really been thriving for, for a while now. I went to college there. Jeroz also went to college there um, many years later. But I, Crooked Still was a band with a great cellist, Rashad Eggleston, um, Greg List, five-finger banjo player, and a bass player named Corey DeMario. And we, we toured for many years in that lineup. And then um, Rashad left the band, and we added Tristan Claridge on cello and Brittany Haas on fiddle. 
and um, continued to tour and make records. And sort of, that's how I met Drew. I met her at Rocky Grass in 2006, but I met Sarah Watkins at the Philly Folk Festival in 2001 with another Boston-based folk band, the Wayfaring Strangers, with the uh, fiddler Matt Glazer. And uh, yeah, the, the festival scene that we all kind of come from is, is just really special. And it's, it's so cool, again, to be here at this festival and getting to talk to you. It's, it's, a, it's a special thing. And obviously, it requires the hard work of so many people involved to uh, create an environment where people can listen to music, but also where bands can be nurtured and where relationships can really be fostered and developed. It's really, really cool. Makes me wonder how much longer is it gonna be before I get where I'm going, get what I need. You got a gift you gave, you got a big game to lose. How much faster can somebody run? You're chasing a lover, and the noonday sun is beating down on you, making it hard to Can you give me the uh, the short version of the life and times of Nickel Creek? <laughs> yeah, uh, we started when we were kids. We um, Nickel Creek is is a band with my brother Sean Watkins and myself and our Chris Thiele. and our families, our two families, grew up uh, or spent a lot of time listening to this band called Bluegrass Etc. that just played every week in Oceanside, California, at a pizza parlor, uh, which I think is like the bluegrass version of the Irish pub in terms of where people play. Uh, it's always pizza parlors. And um, we just started taking lessons from the band, hanging out, and, and as Jeroz was saying, there's, there's this wonderful tradition of just inviting the kids to be a part of it. And if you can play an instrument, then play along. And, and, um, and I remember feeling like I was almost a grown-up or something, like playing with these people that I was respected when I was like seven, you know. And uh, it's it's a really it's a really special tradition that that invites kids to be to be um, to add to contribute to a, to a jam to a song. And then Chris and Sean and I just kept kind of playing. We were invited to open a festival as a novelty kids band. Um, and then we just kind of kept playing. We're like, great, what are we gonna do next? We're gonna enter this band contest? Cool, and our parents went along with it and um, ditched their family vacations to just start going to bluegrass festivals. And um, it was a really, really special way to grow up. We just kind of kept, kept going, kept playing, and, and we started traveling and did that for a long time. And uh, I think we finally put it on the shelf in like 07, 2007, and that's when I made my first solo record. Everything we gave and everything we made Singing, do not cross over Don't get yourself We're going to take a quick break.
and we'll be back to our interview with I'm With Her shortly. At Americana Podcast, we are exploring all terrains of Americana music in our pursuit to define and expand on the genre. With help from our friend and musical pathfinder, Will Vote, this is Will's Pick. J.B. Strauss, Man Possessed. From the EP, Man Possessed. J.B. Strauss is an intriguing new singer-songwriter from Macon, Georgia, who has taken an unusual route in the music business. Born in Macon, but also raised on the Georgia shore, J.B. graduated from law school before committing to a full-time career in the music industry. His debut EP, called Man Possessed, was released this month. Man Possessed shows influences of John Prime mixed with Graham Parsons, but also has an original songwriting style that fits with the contemporary work of Jason Isbell and Sturgill Simpson. J.B.'s song reflects his Georgia roots and the beauty of his home state. The song that stands out on the EP is the title track, Man Possessed. J.B. tells the story of human obsession, using examples from the life of his grandfather, a retired judge, and his own love life that paints a vivid musical picture with a classic southern rock sound. There's a song that plays on the summer wind that blows through the tallest pines like a broken heart in I got I got a lighter side here. Anybody can just jump in at any time. Um, this is the lighter side, so these are simple questions. Uh, maybe they're not that simple, but anyway, it doesn't matter. What is your all-time favorite guilty pleasure artist? Whoa. Guilty guilty pleasure meaning like we, we secretly guilty don't pleasure, think they're like good. If or? you really said Barry Manilow, I'd have to tell you that he's actually playing a show in in New York here real soon, so you should go. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> <I see. laughs> or my guilty pleasure artist would be uh, you, you know somebody like uh, uh, Roy Orbison, right? That's guilty? guilty about. Yeah, well, yeah, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> I'm going to move on to the second question. <laughs> what is your all-time favorite guilty pleasure song? Oh, golly. I, I, I don't I, I have a hard time saying what, what, I, what I consider to be a guilty pleasure like on a podcast that, that thousands of people are downloading because then I don't want them no. to get the wrong idea about it. But Can also, we talk about I mean, guilty like pleasure desserts? I, I think that, like, I think we... What did you say? We... I think that um, maybe maybe I'm, I'm wrong in speaking for us all, but I feel like we're trying to not feel guilty about things that you like because it's not popular or something. You know, like if you like it, you should like it. But I feel like it's the opposite for me, where like my guilty stuff would be popular because I grew up listening to not really popular or not like super mainstream music. But I, I guess. If I'm honest, like In Sync was one of my favorite bands growing up, so I feel. 
slightly guilty about it, but not really, because they're good. So. <laughs> Dude, when was the last time you listened to NSYNC? Um, kind of recently, because I watched that documentary about Lance Bass and Lou Pearlman. So. What, what do you listen to that might be unexpected? Uh, Watkins was listening to Randy Newman today in the car, and she sent around a, a song of his that, that we then both listened to right away called Shame. That was a, that was a good little tidbit to yeah. get us here. Yeah. I, I was thinking about posting it on Instagram, but I was like, I don't know if this is, like, content is, I shouldn't post it. But it, uh, yeah, I listened to it, like, four times in a row and then texted my friends uh, to, to just be advised that I, I did this. And it's an incredible lyric. The way it develops um, and builds, it, it's, it's very satisfying. I just kept wanting to go back to it and listen, and so I did. Because you know what? That's what you do on van rides. You do whatever you want. You can listen to whatever you want. And you don't have to worry about everyone else. Uh, you just put on your little earbuds. If I pretend I never cried and my daddy raised me right, that I pick myself up when I fall That I don't need a helping hand on my own two feet I'll stand when you come running when I call Is it alright with you if it's all wrong with me? Is it alright with me if you want to be set free? I'll set you free We're gonna move on to the lightning round. Okay, you ready? This is real simple. Hee Haw or the Andy Griffith Show? I'm from Boston. No. I think Hee Haw, because I've actually never seen it, but my, I know my grandpa loved it. Uh -huh. So for my uh -huh. grandpa, Hee Haw. Okay. okay, contemporary literature or classic literature? So hard, so hard. I've, I've been on a contemporary literature kick this summer, so I'm gonna have to go with contemporary. Okay. Uh, kombucha or sweet tea? Kombucha. kombucha. <laughs> this is a giveaway. Dobro or steel guitar? Hmm. Lap steel or pedal? I'd go with lap steel, actually. I'm going to say Dobro. Yeah, yep. like in honor of Jerry Douglas. Mm -hmm. All right. Woody Guthrie or Woody Harrelson? Kingpin all the way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you there. <laughs> Uh, Red Rocks or Railbird? Oh, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't hear that. Red Rocks or Railbird? It's a trap. We, Railbird today. Yeah, yeah, Railbird. Okay, okay, okay. Clawhammer banjo or Skrug style banjo? I have to say Clawhammer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Analog or digital? I'm going to say analog at the moment because um, I've been spending a little bit of time with tape lately and it's been really satisfying to sing on. Adele or Lana Del Rey? I'm going to say Lana Del Rey. I like them both. Like them both. Atlantic or Pacific Ocean? Pacific. Pacific. Oh. Atlantic! Even though I live on the Atlantic, come on, the Pacific is great. Okay. Uh, Mexican food or barbecue? Mexican food. There we go. All right, we're done. So one, there's one, I mean, we have one last thing. that We've been searching for a new, more, I don't know, attractive title to the beautiful instrument called the B3. Do you have any suggestions? 
The more attractive titles. Oh, no, the B3, I mean, wow. it's like sounds like a military thing, you know, right? So we need to we need to have a better name for the B3 organ, right? What does the B stand for? I don't know. I have no idea. I'm just asking the questions here. <laughs> Oh, man. Big, heavy, whatever, I don't know. The voice of God? Ah, there we go. We got the voice of God. That's fantastic. So thanks for joining us. This is Americana Podcast, and we've been visiting with Sarah Jerose, Sarah Watkins, and Eva O'Donovan. Collectively <laughs> known as the band I'm With Her. We're recording live from the Railroad Festival in Pretty and Peaceful Keeneland, Kentucky. I'm your host, Robert Earl Key. Yay! we would like to thank our host Robert Earl Keane, Railbird Music Festival, Boone Byers and Becca Castle of AC Entertainment, Richland Group, and Charles Ray. Americana Podcast is brought to you by Keane Productions. Edited and produced by Clara Rose. Mastered by Pat Mansky with original music by Kim Warner. Until next time, let the music play. <laughs> <laughs>